Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Again, brothers and sisters, uh, it's wonderful to be with you again and uh, excited to, to have with us Brother John Gagnon. Again, Brother, welcome. Thank you. It's good to have good you with here. You. Yeah. Um, we uh, are going to be in uh, the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 4 today. Uh, this block also covers Luke, chapter 4 and 5. Um, I think we'll, we maybe stay mostly in Matthew today to, uh, for out of uh, necessity to stay a little more concise, but... But uh, Brother Gagnon, welcome back. It's good to have you, you again. You bet. You. Uh, just before we jump in, I, I, th- I think uh, it would be wonderful for you to share a little bit about your assignment with Seminary and Institute um, and what you do, um, which is a little bit different than the traditional teacher. And, and uh, uh, you and I have been friends for a long time, many years, and, uh, and uh, to see you in your current role uh, is so fitting to me. And uh, I, uh, I would just love for you to just share what you do, share share what you are assigned to do right now. Well, and, and you and I have been to get we're, we're together back at Centennial there, and that's kind of where this all got started back at Centennial Seminary. Uh, Matt Featherstone was on the phone one day, and he started talking to some parents who had students that were seminary age that might be coming to the come to coming to Centennial, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of more students had disabilities. Oh. And parents were surprised. They're like, well, is there such a class? Could they we can actually come to seminary? Yeah. And so that was probably four or five years ago now. And we had several students that came, and they were included in the uh, typical classes that we have, seminary classes. And then the following year, we decided to set up a, a class that was made up of mentors, students that were assigned to come and help these students mm-hmm. in the class. So it was much smaller classes. And we're able to teach them at a at a, a pace that was more, uh, you know, w- went along with their needs and sure. helping them out. And it ended up just kind of snowballed from there yeah. and went from one class to the next and the next year and the next year. And then they started a program over at Rocky and had a class there. And now, now we have six uh, blended classes throughout this Treasure Valley wow. that uh, have students seminary age seminary age and what about institute institute, and that started yeah that started uh, maybe uh, maybe a year or two after we started in the in the seminary program we decided uh, with uh, the help of craig spute Mm -hmm. who was uh who was a teacher at that time and they put together a class for students that are 18 to 30 institute age students Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we've had that class i think now this is i think the third year or fourth year for that class That meets out at Nampa. We have three classes there at 11, 130, and 4. And then we have one class here at the Boise Institute. Yeah. And it's marvelous. Same kind of a thing. We have mentors that are assigned, other institute students. And if you were to interview them today and just talk to them, That's so cool. uh, I think they would say that it's been a, been a real real good experience. A, for a tender experience yeah, for sure. Right? it is. It is. You know, we have a lot of listeners that aren't here in the Valley with us. Um, but for those that are and might be interested in 
coming down and, and helping in that uh, capacity mm-hmm. as a mentor, 18 to 30-year-old. Um, it's just a, such an experience, an experience I don't know that they could get anywhere else. Right, right. Yeah, yeah feel free to come. Just yeah. uh, give me a call, and we'll get you signed up, and yeah. we'd love to have you. That's wonderful. And again, the, you know, those that are out there that are uh, of, of age um, <clears throat> who might have some Mm-hmm. Uh, special needs that way um, might uh, might you might think about inviting them down too. It's a great way to uh, to help them out and, and help them in their learning that they need. Yeah, spread the word. Spread the word. It's yeah. amazing how we, we parents all the time that will say, "I had no idea there was a class being taught," and yeah. they're so excited to have them come yeah. and to see what we're doing. And it's just it's so good for them socially. They feel yeah. feel connected. Uh, they're learning. It's it's. It's been great. So well, feel free to come. You are fantastic yeah. to do it, and and you like uh, <clears throat> like many of our listeners will know and, and hear today. Uh, you have the right temperament for that assignment, and, mm-hmm. and in fact, you came up in our last discussion with Brother Diebel. Um, we were in John chapter one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the listeners will remember, and and uh, we were talking about Nathaniel, who had gotten called, and uh, you uh, were. Uh, Somebody that uh, that both Brother Diebel and I came to mind as we as we listened to what the Savior says about Nathaniel in verse. Uh, this is John chapter one verse. Uh, well, let's say forty six. We we're talking about how Nathaniel asks a question about the Savior, and he asks, "Can any can there any good thing come out of Nazareth?" When he finds out where he's from, and it kinds of sounds snarky a little bit. <clears throat> and that's not why we thought of you. Um, But in the next couple of verses, Jesus sees Nathanael coming and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, and then this, in whom there is no guile. And uh, we we got to talking about uh, a colleague of ours that we feel has no guile, and and that was you, Brother Gagnon. So we're grateful to have you here today, and and again, perfect temperament for that uh, that assignment. and we Thank just you. love you. So let's jump in. Yeah. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. I'm, I'm not going to give us uh, much background, but if there's something you want to say just to get us in, then feel free and, and take us in. Well, I think it, it's just, you know, if you, the previous chapter, if you go to Matthew chapter 3, um, you know that we have Jesus being baptized, yeah. right? And receiving right. receiving the, uh, making a covenant there with his Father in heaven. Right. And showing by example that that's what we should all do. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the start of his ministry, I think he receives that experience. Not unlike missionaries even today. They, you know, they're what do they do? They receive an ordinance right. prior to going on a mission. Yeah, right. I just think it's interesting the pattern yeah. you see. Yeah, that's interesting. And I wanted to really just kind of start with by talking about patterns. If you go to chapter four, you you find I, I love patterns in the scriptures. And you see a pattern here of the Savior starting his ministry. He goes into the wilderness. Two, and, and you look at the footnote there on chapter 4, verse 1, B, not to be tempted of the devil, right. like it says there, <laughs> yeah. but to be with God. Yeah. And that's all part of the preparation, right? And that's why he was going there. But it's an interesting pattern. So he goes to prepare to be with God, and while he's there, then he's tempted. Yeah. And you think if you think if all of you think for a moment of where do you see this pattern where, where do you see the pattern i see it joseph smith Absolutely. goes to be alone and and finds himself being tempted i think it's true for us um, <clears throat> you know when we make time to go to the temple uh, it seems mm-hmm. like there's always a conflict that comes and mm-hmm. and uh, you know the, we we see that pattern when we're trying to do good we we see the adversary uh, rear his ugly head and and try to try to take us down a different path. Mm-hmm. Moses is another example. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you remember Moses was, you know, trying to be there with God. He has this vision, and then all of a sudden he's oh, left to right. himself. Yeah. And then Satan comes. He jumps right in. Yeah. And I love what Elder Holland said about that as we've watched the video. I think many people listening might have gone through the seminary program and watched the video of, that shows Elder Holland narrating that experience. Yeah. He says, he says, one thing you can be for sure is that when you're about something good, hmm. you know that Satan is right behind and trying to, trying to tri trip you up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's a. I think there's a principle there for uh, all of us that are that are looking to do the next right thing in our life and mm -hmm. take the next covenant, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> make the next covenant, whether whether that's marriage or um, whatever it might be. Uh, that that I think I'm thinking about the young adults right now in my in my head specifically. Mm -hmm. That you know you're they go through a stage. We all went through a stage. Go through a stage where. Um, we're trying to do the right thing. We're looking mm -hmm. for our eternal companion. We're, you know, and and how difficult dating has become. How difficult it is to date correctly, mm -hmm. uh, to stay morally clean, and all those things. Right. That mm -hmm. that that principle is true. Um, as we try to be f faithful, the adversary attempts to bring us down in the thing we're trying to be faithful in. Mm -hmm. Often. Yeah. yeah. Well said. That's cool. So it's a pattern there. Yeah, that's um, true. You know, and if you think about your your own experience, you mentioned some experiences that the young adults you know are having with with dating and some of the positive things are on the horizon, and Satan trying to keep them from yeah. making those choices. I, I just just want to share just a little brief little story. Um, this is kind of personal for me, but I remember um, I was on my way to be interviewed uh, for my mission call uh, by the stake president. He worked for uh, Ozark Airline in St. Okay. Louis, and uh, I've been back and forth through the, through St. Louis. I've been all over the place. This is a youth and different assignments and debate and speech tournaments. Sure. And so I'm dressed up and I'm on my way to the interview with the state president. And lo and behold, I was um, what's the word I was I wrote down here? I was propositioned oh, twice. Really? By. As I sat once, as I sat at the stoplight in St. Louis, and again, I've never had this experience before. Yeah. And a young lady walking across the crosswalk turned to me. I'm in the car, taps on the hood, and gives me this look like, "Hey, buddy, come this way." Come this way. Wow. And of course, I was shocked. I'd never had that experience yeah. before. And then I get to the parking lot at the Ozark Airline, wow. and a similar thing happened. No kidding. And so for me, when I think of this pattern, yeah. I think I saw that very clearly for me. And uh, so I went into the interview. We had the interview. All was good. Went on a mission. <laughs> and, had, and because of that, I mean, because of those choices to turn to the Savior and, and to uh, withstand temptation, in, in this instance, of course, in all instances, but but for me, ended up being a marvelous experience. The mission just set the set the stage for my life, yeah. for who I married, yeah. for what I did. I think Satan knew that, right? Yeah. The same for the Savior. All I mean, right. he's, got, he's got a mission. He's got the most important mission in the universe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's reminding me of uh, in Zechariah, um, chapter one, verse thirteen. Um, no, that's not where I want to take you. Um, talks in here, oh, it's in chapter 9 of Zechariah, um, where 
the Lord says, uh, turn unto me and I will turn unto you. Mm. And that idea, you know, might indicate or might seem to indicate that uh, the Savior isn't always facing our direction and He isn't always, you know, there right by us and helping. And, and maybe there's a truth there. Maybe the, that as we choose wickedness, obviously the Holy Ghost leaves mm. us. And, uh, and maybe as we choose wickedness, the Savior turns to focus on those that are choosing righteousness and we're off on a, on a different path. And when we're willing to come back, mm -hmm. he, he turns and faces us again and helps us. But, but uh, just that idea that, that when we stay facing him, He's always facing us. He's always willing to help. He's right there to, mm -hmm. to assist us. That's what a, what a beautiful uh, concept. And yeah, thank you for that story. Yeah, that's great. So we've got the Savior uh, in yep. uh, in the wilderness and being tempted. Right. Right. It's interesting to me how, and, and maybe speak about this a little bit, mm -hmm. how um, the temptations that come are temptations that are uh, real mm -hmm. to the to the Savior mm -hmm. with the power that he had to command the elements and to do all the things he could have done mm -hmm. uh, in a wicked way um, he 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 doesn't um, and and it's interesting to me what he uses to refute the adversary is scripture mm -hmm. how often he says it is written uh, in this in this ex experience here um, he uses his knowledge that he had gained from his own personal study mm -hmm. to refute that. I think that's kind of a cool, maybe teaching thing there. I think it's powerful. I mean, that's one of the. I think it's one of the great principles in here, right? Is is you know how do we thwart Satan? Is by studying the scriptures, being aware of the scriptures, using the scriptures to at every turn to to be able to help you to withstand his enticements. Yeah. Um, one of the things, I'm going to come back to that in just a minute if we could, but I wanted to just point out the, you know, you can't, the verse 3 there, chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, interesting how right off the bat, in fact, he says it several times, the word if. Yeah. It's a small little word. Yeah. So, I, 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 I'm just, I'll share just some thoughts and maybe you want to add to it, but it's just, it's just, it's the same thing. Again, the pattern. Sure. Same with, with Moses and Satan. And Mos in the case of Moses, he, Satan refers to him as the son of man. Right. And Moses quickly says, wait a minute, I'm a son of God. Yeah. And and with that, that empowered Moses then to sure. withstand Satan. And the Savior, the same thing. He's going to, to recognize who he is and what his mission is, and he's going to thwart him. But Satan used that same tactic. If you're if you're really, you know, yeah. it's the if. If you're really, who, it's who you say you are kind of a thing. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I I think there's a there's the there's the uh, idea of doubt that mm -hmm. is is sowed nice. there, right? That mm -hmm. that you and I are, are faithful until we start doubting ourselves. Uh, we see Peter walking on water until he starts doubting and looking down, mm -hmm. and and that that idea of doubt that the adversary is trying to sow even the Savior um, by saying. If you're really this good, then you could handle this. And it's interesting what the things are that he tempts him with, mm -hmm. right? He tempts him with uh, uh, turning something Physical that's appetites. not bread into bread, right? Mm -hmm. And and and, and it, that's interesting to me too that he later does that, right? He, he later, right. you know, uh, uh, helps <laughs> the the many eat, and and mm -hmm. he he has control over the things that, uh, um, you know, the temptation to to be a wicked leader effectively, mm -hmm. to cast yourself down from this thing and not die. Mm -hmm. All these things the adversary just does, but does the opposite of, right? In right. a righteous way. Yeah, yeah. Um, he just figures out how to, 
to wield the power that he has in a righteous direction, and it actually helps save others mm -hmm. instead of just prop himself up, right. um, which is which is what the adversary would have us all do, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I I love this quote. There's a little quote here uh, that I it just makes you love the Savior and you appreciate Him uh, more as I as I read this quote. And um, it says all. Um, there's, a, there's actually a couple of quotes here, but let me read the first one. All beings uh, who have bodies have power over those who have not. The devil has no power over us until we permit him. The moment we revolt at anything which comes from God, the devil takes power. And so it's that idea, too, of somebody had mentioned it when you get on Satan, you get into Satan's territory. As long as you don't get into his territory, you're okay. But once you get into his territory... Sure. Then, then the pull, the magnetic or spiritually magnetic pull yeah. to do something wrong right. becomes even stronger. Well, I like that, mm. the word revolt, right? The mm. word revolt doesn't just mean stand idly by. It, it, to me, it, it infers mm. a, a visceral rejection that mm. physically moves me away from God and would, by default, move me into Satan's territory, like you said, mm -hmm. right? That, that just moves me directly into his sphere where he can influence me. There's one more quote I wanted to read. It says, um, and this is from Eller Holland. He said, For Jesus to have obtained these desired ends in the Savior in the way Satan tempted him to. You made reference to that, that here eventually the Savior will have power to do all, I mean, he's going to have power to do all these things. Sure. And Satan was offering him that power, but in under his command right. versus Heavenly Father's command. Yeah. And so it says here, for Jesus to obtain these desired ends in the way Satan tempted him, instead of waiting for the right time and the right way, would have been a selfish abuse of the Savior's power. Jesus would establish his divine identity as the Son of God in ways that aligned with Heavenly Father's will, not with Satan's bidding. Man, that's really cool. That's really cool. I'm, I'm looking at verse 9. One of the things the adversary promises, maybe in, in line there with what you just shared, is uh, Satan says, and saith un, he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if that will fall down and worship me. He's just showed him, he's taken him to a high mountain and showed him all mm -hmm. of the kingdoms of the world and the glory of the world. And uh, he says, all these things will I give you, will I give thee, as if they're Satan's to give, right? Mm -hmm. There's the yeah. lie, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if that will fall down and worship me. But what's interesting to me is that this is this is already something Christ rules and owns, okay, and yet creator. the adversary is saying, "Ah, I can give you these things." It, mm -hmm. It's a a lie on multiple fronts, right? Mm, it is interesting. It is. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, a lot of a lot of pride uh, attempts to get the adversary to to have pride, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know I think there's a there's a pretty common thread there that that the adversary would have us use the powers and the talents and the gifts that that uh, God has given us mm -hmm. uh, for our own benefit. That's really all mm -hmm. that is being tempted here. Mm -hmm. Use these things, these powers and gifts that you have as Christ and and do do what will benefit you the most. Mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting to me, you know, I think sometimes we think because he's, and maybe it's true, but because he's Christ, Satan actually came physically and came, right, and, and was there. And, and in, in reality, for you and I, at least myself, um, when I'm tempted, it's thoughts. It's, it's my own personal, like, you know, I could. 
I could do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I think it's maybe more powerful to me to think of the Savior going to the wilderness to be with God and just having thoughts. You know, I really could use these powers to build myself up. Mm-hmm, and I could mm-hmm. I could show everybody that I can't die and I could show everybody that I can I could own and rule the earth and I could you know and and if we put it into more of a human uh, temptation sense rather than Satan showing up and standing before the, right, the Savior, right? right? Yeah. It would actually be more tempting, probably, to have it just be your own thoughts and just be your own, mm-hmm. you know, the way that the adversary tempts you and I, mm-hmm. than a, a little man with horns showing up. I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm not following that guy, yeah, right? That right, would be right. obviously uh, the the adversary tempting me, but mm-hmm. but interesting to think about the the human nature of the Savior at this time. Mm-hmm. And that he, he would have been tempted in a very similar way mm-hmm. uh, to you and I uh, to, to use his power and authority mm-hmm. wrongly mm-hmm. In, in inappropriate ways. And, and the extent of that temptation, I, I just happened to look down at a footnote there, and it takes you to Mosiah chapter 3, verse 7. I'm trying to think which footnote that was. Well, there it is. It's um, uh, in footnote 1C. Yeah. takes you to Mosiah chapter, actually cha- footnote 2A takes you to Mosiah chapter 3, verse 7, mm-hmm. that basically says he was tempted in all things more than man can be. Yeah. So his level of temptation was was beyond, I mean, he incorporated everything, right? But the blessing of that is because he experienced that, yeah. like it says in Alma chapter 7, he's able to succor those who are tempted yeah. with any degree of issues. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's something <clears throat> that is, almost feels wrong to talk about, but but is true um, about all temptation, right? If he felt all temptation, mm-hmm. he would have felt the temptation to murder. Mm-hmm. He would have felt the temptation to be a pedophile. He would have felt same-sex attraction. He would mm-hmm. have felt all of the things that we would never want to put on the Savior. Mm-hmm. Mass murder, mm-hmm. abuse, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, all of those, uh, any any. Uh, sexually more immoral mm-hmm. um, temptation that that anyone's ever felt. I mean, all the things that just seem so wrong yeah. to put on him as a temptation he would have felt. Mm-hmm. And then to go back to what we just talked about, about it being really his own desire temptation, not mm-hmm. Satan standing in front saying, you could do this, right? Mm-hmm. It, it makes um, his ability to overcome those things um, amazing. Right, that that all of the temptations were given to him, and he succumbed to none of them, mm-hmm. um, because he understood so perfectly what his role was and who he could who he could be for us mm-hmm. if he was willing to give up his ability to to have a happy life in that way. Right, right to have right. a to have a sinfully joyful experience on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew that that was not uh, his his plan, and he had a bigger role. And I'm grateful for that for us. Um. It, from the, as you said, for for all the all the sins, I was thinking on the way to uh, to our our get together here right now. I happened to be at a little a little uh, gas station to get some cash for something I had to pay off here at the institute. Some copies that I had mm-hmm. made, and uh, walked in there, and there was a man that was he was getting all of the uh, the lotto, oh, he was yeah. purchasing all uh-huh. of that, and uh, and you could tell he. I kind of could tell that this was kind of a normal thing for him. Sure. And as he turned away from the cashier, he said, she said, I'll see you tomorrow. He says, well, you know me. I'll be back. <laughs> I've got this addiction I need to overcome. Oh, wow. There you go. He said that on wow. the way out the door. Wow. And I thought, it just made me think that, you know, for, to, 
to what it doesn't matter what extent yeah. we suffer with diff- addictions or challenges or problems or temptations or whatever it might be the savior understands what he's experiencing yeah. that addiction to that is something that he he experienced as well yeah maybe there's something uh, maybe there's something here to to share there uh, verse 2 yeah, we back up a little bit. It says, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 mm-hmm. nights, he was afterward and hungered. And there's a Joseph Smith translation that expands that a little bit. It says, uh, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and had communed with God, mm-hmm. he was afterward and hungered and was left to be tempted of the devil. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things there. Um, first, that the adversary comes at our weakest points. Right? Mm-hmm. He rarely comes when we're feeling the Spirit mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. because he knows it'd just be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. But then secondly, and, and maybe when we get to verse 8, there's a, there's a proof to this, but it says, <clears throat> and afterwards he was left to be tempted by the, of, the, of the devil. It seems to me that, that the Spirit had left him at some, to some degree, that, he, that the, the Father, after he'd communed mm-hmm. with him, that the mm-hmm. Father separated and, and, and left him. And then we get to verse 8, and there's another tra- Joseph Smith translation that says, uh, mm. And again the devil taketh him into the exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the th- kingdoms um, of the world and the glory of them. But if we, if we read the Just Joseph the Smith translation, mm-hmm. it begins, and again Jesus was in the Spirit, mm. and it taketh him. Right, so so I just I just wonder if obviously in our weakened state, but definitely when the spirit's not with us, the adversary comes mm-hmm. and tempts us most. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't know that the Savior would have really ever done anything um, to to have allowed the spirit not to be present with him. Mm-hmm. But for sure, he would have needed to know what it felt like not to have it mm-hmm. in order for you to for him to understand what you That's and I go through. Yeah. Right, and so, not for sinful reasons, um, like most of us, but um, mm. for for learning reasons, uh, the Savior would have gone through some temptations without the Spirit present. And well, certainly on the cross, He says, "Right, sure. um, you know, where where are Why had thou forsaken so he me?" Felt that he yeah. felt that certainly then, and maybe maybe throughout other yeah. times of His life. Yeah, it's just an interesting idea, you know, yeah. that that He uh, He really needed to understand our experience, and and so much of our experiences without the Spirit. Um, that this this tempting moment maybe maybe is there is is that there so anyway yeah. I think that's interesting what else is in here you well wanna, we've got some understand? you know we get uh, I love this at the at verse twelve well of course the ultimate at verse eleven then the devil leaveth him yeah and behold angels came and ministered unto him and there's a footnote there that says now Jesus knew that John was cast into prison and he sent angels. And behold, they came and ministered. So, oh, wow. uh, I, I just, I, I, you know that there's going to be some ministering of angels to the Savior for the choice He's just made, right? It's yeah. the same for us. Yeah. We make good choices. We're going to, we're entitled to the ministering of angels. We're entitled to to help, divine help. Yeah. But here in this instance, it could be the way it's literally written. He, he was, you know, ministered to by angels. That that makes sense. But the footnote tells you that he he's just right on his mission. He's like, okay, I've had this experience, but I know somebody that's in prison, and I'm going to send yeah. angels to help John the Baptist. Right. I, I, I love that. In the midst of his yeah. crisis, maybe which for him, maybe it looks to us like a crisis, but for him, we, we don't know exactly how he was feeling. But, right. but regardless, he 
he's he has the presence of mind yeah. to be able to send help to somebody well, and, else. And don't you know people <clears throat> like that? I think you're a type that's like mm-hmm. that. That that uh, even though you're going through some trial and challenge and mm-hmm. conflict in your own personal life that others might be aware of. Um, you're the first to send help elsewhere or mm. to go help someone else, even mm. though you're struggling. Uh, don't we know people that are that way, that that uh, put their own needs and their own mm-hmm. uh, comfort second to the needs and comfort of those that they know that are struggling as well? Mm-hmm. And I think this is just a proof that the Savior was exactly that and probably perfectly that, mm-hmm. that these angels show up to him in the in the wilderness, and he says, hey, thanks for being here, right. but uh, will you go visit with John? Because he's stuck in jail and... And, uh, and, and, you know, we, we just have read, just, just studied this last week about John the Baptist and, and his experience having uh, all, pretty much all of his disciples leaving him to follow the Savior, which would have been the right thing and what he asked yeah, them what to, he do. Asked them to do. But yeah. it would have been a lonely feeling, right? And obviously mm-hmm. John was following the Savior as well. But, but because he had kind of uh, fanned the flames of faith, um, the the Romans at the time gather him up and throw him in jail and and uh, and Christ is obviously grateful for what he's done to prepare the way for him mm-hmm. um, but just being so mindful of his cousin and his friend and mm-hmm. that he would send the angels that came to minister to him yeah right, right. so cool I love That's that cool. idea so cool That's like the Savior right yeah and uh, you, in the audience well anyway I, I don't want to go back and forth on this necessarily but but uh, Matt has certainly been through a ton of things over sure. the last several years, and but yet he has ministered to to many people. And I so I I feel like I've I look to you and others as being someone that is like this in making sure that others' needs are being met, even though you're in the midst of crisis and challenge. I've always I've always appreciated that about you. Well, thank you, thank you. I think I think it's a. I think as a disciple, that's what we do, that's isn't we it? Do. We, yeah. we, uh, we're, we're aware of our trials, and we're grateful for the help and benefit from the Lord and friends, but hopefully able to see beyond our own mm-hmm. uh, to the needs of others as well. That's and, good. What, and what helps us, just like as it did for Christ, if you look at the next, uh, you know, when he starts his ministry, I love, I love how uh, the, word, the word power is mentioned hmm. often, and I... And I think that that power came because the Savior, he, he was able to overcome, you know, Satan's temptations. Yeah. And that, that as we do that, we gain power. And so you see throughout, uh, in fact, I think it's in Mark chapter, actually I did go to Mark for just a minute where the, it mentions power. Um, this is Mark chapter, I think it's five here, where it says that he went forth in power of the people as he begins his ministry uh, they're amazed at the power that he has uh, that has come from, from, like I said, from overcoming, overcoming Satan and his mm-hmm. temptations. Um, I can't find that right now. But, is, it, is it Luke? Well, oh, Luke, I was in Mark. Sorry, I meant Luke. Yeah, Luke 5. <laughs> Luke, yeah, Luke 5. Did you, see, did you see what I'm talking about where it says power? Um, uh, let's see. What does it say where he... Um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Let's see the word power. Verse. Uh, this is chapter four, Luke, Luke verse thirty-two. Four. Yeah, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power, hmm. and that word power is mentioned several times throughout. I think that's the thing that impresses people the most is he's not just like any average person. Yeah, he has power, right? Hmm. And 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 isn't it interesting that he gained that power 
probably for lots of things he'd mm-hmm. done in the 30 years of life so far, right? But but isn't it interesting that the, before he goes about his ministry, he goes to the wilderness to be with his father and makes the decision mm-hmm. to go and do what he's been sent to do, right? Mm-hmm. I think of missionaries who are young pre-missionaries, uh, 18 years old, 19 years old, thinking, should I go? And they go and they have their own personal experience in the wilderness, so to speak, mm-hmm. where they realize, I need to do this. This mm-hmm. is something I need to do. And because they've made that choice, because mm-hmm. they've had that that really uh, heartfelt experience with the Spirit, um, confirming and, and witnessing to, and they've overcome the temptation to stay home and mm-hmm. to do their own will and their own mm-hmm. desires, I think about how how powerful they are because they made that choice. Mm-hmm. Because the Father can now look at them and say, you chose to be here. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I can give you more power mm-hmm. because you have uh, a, a capacity added to. Mm-hmm. Because it's your choice that you're doing mm-hmm. this thing. And, and the mm-hmm. Savior was a perfect example of that, right? Yeah. Going into the wilderness and being tempted to go do this for myself and, mm-hmm. and realizing, no, I need to do this for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, stepping out and gaining that power because of it. So cool. So cool. It's, it's great. You mentioned... Uh, you know, you, you said something about missionaries and couldn't help but think about this next section. If we if we could just kind of go to that yeah. next section a little yeah, bit where after he sends ministering angels to John the Baptist, um, he then leaves Nazareth. He comes to Capernaum um, and uh, to, you know, in the borders of Zebulon. And, and I'm not sure you know how to say that last name, Nephalim, yeah. but um, that it might be fulfilled. And notice the the effect. Again, I think of his power and I think of what his mission is. Uh, Verse 16, the people which sat in darkness saw great light to them which sat in the region in shadow of death. Light sprung up. And so uh, he begins with this, with power and his commitment. He begins teaching the gospel and and it brings light to people who have been in darkness. Yeah. Just as Isaiah had prophesied. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think um, what a moment in, in history to, to be there having, having had prophets exist hundreds of years before, right? I mean, we've got Zechariah maybe 500 years before, mm-hmm. Malachi maybe 300 years before-ish. Isaiah 700 years yeah, before. Right? So, so yeah, right? Got, so you've got the writings of prophets, but really the light of... of uh, uh, living uh, revelation, the light of a living prophet on earth that guides and directs his people has been gone. It's been darkness. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and so to have the Savior then, not, not just a prophet, but the Savior himself sitting there, I love that, that they saw great light. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And obviously this is referenced to not just those that, you know, were on the earth at the time, but his mission will be, eventually, will be to go to those that are, that have never, you know, that are on the other side. Yeah. Right? He'll, he'll, conduct, he'll inaugurate the mission of preaching the gospel right. to the dead. Yeah. As well. So I think that could maybe reference to them as well. For they're sure. going to see a great light. Yeah. To see the Savior start <clears throat> his ministry must have been... Uh, a, a glorious moment on the other side, knowing exactly what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. For the people sitting in front of him, and, and you know, they see this light, they feel his power, they they recognize to some degree who he is, 
but they're still going on faith. They're mm -hmm. still, but but up in the heavens, it's it's the other direction. They know exactly yeah, what's going, going on. on. And then verse seventeen, right? From mm -hmm. that time, Jesus began mm -hmm. to preach mm -hmm. to say, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." The cross reference says, "On at hand is has come." Mm -hmm. The kingdom of heaven has come, and 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 I think that uh, that reference to him being the kingdom of heaven, right? That that without him there is no kingdom, there is right. no heaven, right, there right, is right, there is right. nothing, right? That mm -hmm. that he has come. Um, is it just just cool? Just powerful. It's powerful. So you and you served a mission in Las Vegas, I did. and of all places where <laughs> one might think there is, although there is a lot of light, there's a yeah. lot of great people mm -hmm. in that area, but you probably saw a lot of the darkness as yeah. well. So I was just curious. I was going through this in preparation for this a little bit. I thought, I wonder what experiences you might have had seeing people who were in the dark. Yeah. And can you think of anything that yeah. comes to mind? I mean, oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the first experiences I had on my mission down there was, uh, and this was back in the late mid mid nineties. Um, the mission president and the assistants to the president come and pick you up from the airport there, McCarran mm -hmm. Airport, and, mm -hmm. and uh, the airport's kind of at the end of the strip, maybe a mile or two off the end of the strip, and and most of the missionaries that come into that mission have probably never been to Las Vegas and so they've they had this and I don't know that they still do this but they had this this idea that we would pick missionaries up and we'd drive them straight down the strip the middle of the strip now this mission doesn't actually cover the strip like two blocks off it's not part of the mission you can't go down there and uh, <clears throat> so on the way down there though uh, the assistants to the president driving the van around say hey will, will you Will you guys look for the temple? See, when you, whoever can see the temple wins. And so we're all, you know, excited looking for the temple. And they get us down into the muck of Las Vegas and uh, the strip. It's so glitzy and so, uh, for, especially for those that have never seen it. Um, you know, we're all glued to the windows and, and looking at all the, the things to see outside. And, and the APs would just say, hey, do you see the temple yet? No. Can you see it? No. And, uh, and the whole time we're driving down the strip, we can't see the temple. Mm -hmm. And uh, we eventually get done with the strip. And we turn off, uh, heading uh, to the east there, and and uh, eventually you get going down this really long road. And the temple sits up on a hill, a little foothill on the edge of the valley, and uh, and you can see it, you know, maybe two miles ahead of time, and, and you mm -hmm. see it coming, and you're just driving straight towards it. So somebody eventually says, "Oh, I see the temple. There it is, right." And, and we, we, we didn't really make a connection until we get to the temple, and that's where the mission president meets us. Mm -hmm. And we go to the temple, we go through the temple, and then he, he has us kind of come around the back, and there's this little cool area at the Las Vegas temple around back, at least there used to be, where it, it's a little bit of a natural acoustic space. They built it in this perfect circle space that if you stand mm -hmm. exactly in the middle and people are sitting on the little uh, mm -hmm. benches around you, it sounds like you're in an amphitheater and, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it get, it's amplified. And then I remember the mission president says, uh, do you remember the assistants asked you to look for the temple the whole time? And, and we said, yeah. And he said, could you ever see it? And mm -hmm. we said, no. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, I want you to turn around. And we all turned around and there in our view is the entire strip, the whole thing, all of it is right there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember him saying, the adversary doesn't let you see God, mm -hmm. but God lets you see the adversary, mm -hmm. and He paints Him very clearly for you. You don't you don't just see one building of sin. Mm -hmm. God says, "Here's all of it." He gives you the full choice, and the adversary would not have you have a choice. You can't even see good mm -hmm. down there. So it's a, it's a backwards way of answering your question. But but really, everybody that's living down there has to look past 
the glitz and the glamour to see God. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is how many people do. Mm -hmm. um, Las Vegas is an interesting place, and, and I'm sure we've got listeners down there that um, maybe I'm speaking incorrectly, but my perspective as a missionary was people are either really good or they're really bad, and there isn't a whole lot in between. Mm -hmm. They've either figured out how to look beyond mm -hmm. um, the, the, the glitz, yeah, the glitz mm -hmm. or, or they haven't, and they're mm -hmm. stuck in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a highly successful baptizing mission. Um, it was either number one or number two English-speaking baptizing mission in the world when we were there. Mm -hmm. And it, it bounced back and forth between one and two with the other Las Vegas mission. So Las Vegas was the, was the hub of English-speaking baptizing. But uh, you knew very quickly, knocking on someone's door, if they were going to let you in and probably go that direction towards baptism, mm -hmm. or they were just not, and not interested, and hard. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just not interested, it was probably pulling a gun on you <laughs> kind of behavior, right? So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, light or dark, right? Mm -hmm. and it's, it's really the, the two options down there. Really light or really dark, really dark. but has a lot of lights on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. It's, yeah, I just couldn't help but think of that. I, I yeah. thought of a, a person, that we, just, just real quick, we were uh, teaching a, a young lady that... Um, yeah, it was in Utah. It was, it was in Utah. It was in the Salt Lake City Mission, and sure. so she would come, and she was so timid and so shy and disheveled, and just things just were not right. But it was interesting to watch that as she progressed through the discussions, and I saw this several times, but this one stands out in my mind. Mm. You could see her countenance change. Mm. You could see she was speaking more. Mm. She. She interacted socially yeah. more. It's just interesting how when, when we experience the light of Christ in our lives, when the gospel comes into our lives, how it changes us, yeah. not just spiritually, but it can change socially. It can change us in a lot of different ways. And we saw that with this young lady. And of course, we've all, you, you and I, we, we've all, we've experienced that. The, the closer we draw to the Savior, the greater light, the greater power we have to make decisions yeah. greater confidence we feel and so I, I i don't think with this word light and i think of all those things yeah for sure yeah I, I love that i, so I think that's definitely true about those that join the church down there yeah. in las vegas that uh, man that that light as soon as they find it mm -hmm. uh, they see it they they recognize it and they're in mm -hmm. and then they want that to be part of their life even the casino owners down there recognize the value of the lds people Mm. Um, because they're honest and they, they're they the guys working the right. security and working the, with the money and, you know. Um, and and yeah. so uh, the, the church is really strong in Las Vegas, uh, surprisingly. Mm. So it's mm. interesting, interesting space. Yeah. Well, good. So we get uh, Christ having, he, he has this experience at the end of uh, the chapter here, maybe verse 18, um, where he goes and he, mm. he begins to find and call his apostles. And... Uh, he, he begins in verse 18, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It was interesting before we, we began recording today, we talked a little bit about what uh, Brother Diebel and I covered last week. And we talked a lot last week about how all these people... Uh, began to follow Christ after his baptism. And, and as we've been talking here, I've been looking back at that in the scriptures in John chapter 1. And it's interesting to me that none of them 
they were all invited to follow him, but none of them were called to follow him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he says, come and see. You know, when they when they ask, who are you and where do you live? Mm-hmm. He says, come and see. And then they start going and they gather their friends. And uh, we, have, we have Nathaniel, obviously, and we have... Um, you know, others of the uh, the disciples that become apostles oh, eventually, apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it isn't. Uh, it, it, they aren't necessary. I mean, the Savior wanted them to be with him, right? But mm-hmm. but the first one that is called to come and follow is Peter, mm-hmm. uh, who would eventually be the the prophet, the, the rock, right? Yeah. The rock, yeah. yeah. So that's interesting to me. Uh, and Andrew, his brother, right, coming with him. So there's a lot, yeah, and and the invitation to follow. Follow it certainly applies to all of us, right? Yeah. Whether that's uh, we're not going to we're not going to all serve in the corner of the twelve necessarily, sure. but we'll have different callings that we'll have, and yeah. and we can follow the Savior. I, I, um, y- yeah, I, I, uh, so I love this word. You know, you look at verse twenty-two, and and it's it's not just that they followed, but they we really gave up their professions. Yeah, I mean, this was their livelihood. Right. And and how do you how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, it's just and that's what our apostles, of course, are called to do: is to give up their livelihood and and yeah. serve the Lord Lord full time. But the principle here in verse twenty two, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Yeah, and I think there's a real principle there about you know immediately when we, when we when a call is extended to us, whether that's formal calling or we're prompted by the Spirit to go and do something. That like so many good people we read about in the scriptures, Alma and others, they immediately follow that that instruction. And even our modern apostles, there have been stories told about them of how they just responded with just just implicitly, they just right, instantly. Or, or they instantly, the word I meant. Yeah, yeah. They instantly followed. And so I think that's a great principle for each one of us. Yeah, I love that. I, I have a couple of uh, uh, cross-references written in uh, in this section here where uh, he says, follow me in verse 19. And then he says, and I will make you fishers of men. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I have Second uh, Nephi 31 uh, verse 10 written in. This is in the Book of Mormon. Um, and this is after... Uh, Nephi has quoted Isaiah mm-hmm. and he's, uh, mm-hmm. he's warning his people about the calamities that will befall. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this is an interesting uh, statement here. And I, and I just made the connection to uh, the apostles being called here. And it says, uh, He said unto the children of men, Follow thou me. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus, save we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father? And he goes on, and the father said, Repent ye, repent ye, and be baptized in the name of my beloved son. And also the voice of the son came unto me, saying, He that is baptized in my name, to him will the father give the Holy Ghost, like unto me. Wherefore, follow me, and do the things which ye have seen me do. I think this invitation to follow him isn't just walk around behind me. Right, mm-hmm. he they, and I don't know when Peter was baptized, when uh, Nathaniel or, mm-hmm. or any of these others were baptized, but but the invitation to follow after Christ would have also included go. Let's go get baptized, mm-hmm. um, and sense. and whatever yeah. other covenants and, mm-hmm. and ordinances mm-hmm. they needed to partake of. Um, but it was then to learn um, to learn to be like me, mm-hmm. uh, to learn to be like me. The the other cross reference I have is in Third uh, Nephi chapter twenty seven. This is the Savior teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and he's called his apostles on the American continent at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, ye shall be judges. This is 3 Nephi 27, 27. 
Um, you shall be judges of this people according to the judgment which I shall give unto you. So it's knowledge that you're going to have to judge. Therefore, what manner of men ought ye to be? Verily, verily, I say unto you, even as I am. He calls us and asks us to be not like him, but him, right? Mm -hmm. To become like him, even as mm -hmm. he is, mm -hmm. um, perfect in those things. And, and obviously in life, we're, we're, we're going to fall short of that. But, but I look at the brethren and the sisters that lead us in the church, and obviously not perfect, mm -hmm. um, maybe less obvious than me, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but, uh, but the, I remember we had an opportunity to have Elder Gong here uh, in the last year. Um, in town speaking to the young adults here. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but somehow he got down into the room that we were going to eat with him mm -hmm. before we got down there. And, and I, I think you were present at this dinner, and, and maybe maybe not. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, he uh, got down into that room before us, and when we walked into the room, he's got an apron on and handing out plates. And, mm -hmm. like, he's helping serve us. And it just felt so wrong. <laughs> But isn't that the Savior? Isn't that how the Savior would be? Um, I sit uh, with colleagues of mine regularly. Just the other day, we sat at a, uh, a, a gathering of our colleagues, and one of our colleagues mm -hmm. disappeared and showed up handing food out, delivering food. And there were people that had we you know had come in to help do that, and but he felt uh, uh, of necessity to stand and and to assist in that. And uh, and I sat there sheepishly thanking him for serving me and though he's a colleague of mine that that i should have been serving probably far more and anyway i, I just think there's something about being like him um, that is this invitation to f be fishers of men like him to follow him is is more than just you know pat around behind him well it's uh, even today you know i think there's a emphasis uh, about about somehow living in such a way that we can live with him right but we in the church of jesus christ the restored gospel of jesus christ teaches us to it's not just enough to live with him it's really more about becoming like him yeah and, and that's our difference and that's what we mean by exaltation as sure. well too it's becoming like god yeah uh, not replacing him by any means but, no. but certainly becoming like him is what it's all about it's not just enough about just qualifying it's qualifying our nature yeah yeah and I, I think it's probably worth a mention too here that um you know, the good sisters that, that live amongst us and that are, are here on earth with us, um, we've been given an exemplar in Christ to become like Him because mm -hmm. of His perfect mm -hmm. example. But we know that ultimately the, the Divine Mother, um, uh, Heavenly Father's spouse, mm -hmm. is their objective, right? Mm -hmm. That, that their, their role to learn all things feminine perfectly mm -hmm. um, maybe isn't as visible um, in, in in our world and in the, in the in the resources we've been given to be seen, it's visible in my home. But you yeah, see my for wife. sure. As we watch yes. our lives. No we can see it. But. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I think uh, I just think that's important to to delineate that you know our 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 good wives and and the the women around us mm -hmm. they're becoming like their heavenly mother, mm -hmm. um, and and really I think we only need the example of the Savior, um, who was perfect in all things, male and, and feminine, right? Um, but, uh, but, but, but that's ultimately their objective, too. I think that's just a beautiful thing to remember, um, that, a, that a woman perfect uh, is different than me. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And we need each other. Anyway, I love that, love that. Well, this, I just want to share a little quote, if we could. It's just, this is Benson, and I love what he says here. Uh, 
men and women who turn their lives over to God. And I think most of our listeners may, may have remembered this as a quote that's been given yeah. often over the years. Uh, who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He will deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, raise up friends, which I think that's an interesting thought, and pour out peace. Whosoever will lose his life in the service of God will find eternal life. Yeah. Wow, yeah. There's so much more, right? It's powerful. It's powerful. And, and, and maybe the, you've touched on it already, but maybe the uh, the quickness with which they left, mm-hmm. right? They, they just saw and recognized who he was, and they just left and changed. Yesterday I had an opportunity to speak with a seminary class. We were talking about becoming holy mm-hmm. and what it looked like, what it might be, what changes they might need to make in their life mm-hmm. to become more holy and... Zechariah, right? Yeah, about yeah, the holiness yeah, at the yeah, end. That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it was just interesting, as I had that discussion with the youth, it, it felt like they kept saying things that referenced their future selves. You know, when I go on a mission, I will be able to mm-hmm. receive the Spirit and mm-hmm. whatever. And, and just so powerfully at the end of that lesson, I felt prompted to, to uh, direct them to make those changes now, mm-hmm. to do those things immediately and to immediately mm-hmm. leave your nets. Mm-hmm. Um, as good as it is to be a good fisherman, yeah. uh, it's better to follow the Savior and be a fisher of men mm-hmm. than, than that. And how many of these people did that, right? In verse 21 here, uh, Matthew 4, going on from thence, he saw other two brothers, James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. So now we've got Peter, James, and John, all being fishermen, right? The, the equivalent of the first presidency back then, um, with Peter's brother Andrew being part of that mix there too. Um, they were mending their nets and he called them and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. You've touched on that, right, in talking about the leaders of our church, but but man, maybe we need to be more like that, more willing to step away from the net when we recognize it and we see that there's a better way um, and just leave. And if I can be more holy in something now, just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things we talked about yesterday in, in that class was just bad language mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that it's a thing that some of the youth felt like the, was a thing that uh, they could they could stop using bad language and become a little more holy and uh, and then the, and then in the, the conversation it became well yeah but sometimes we have habits that are you know hard to hard to change and 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 I just I looked at these youth and I said do you have bad language around your parent your parents and they all sheepishly kind of looked at their desk, and I said, no, you can change it. These are things that is a choice. Uh, you have control. Um, you are not, as Elder Bednar might say, um, being acted upon. You are an, an agent to act. Mm. And uh, you have the opportunity to, to make those changes and to immediately leave the net mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and go onto a better thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and we just we use so much the excuse that well it's a it's a uh, addiction of mine or it's a, and maybe it is in some cases but mm-hmm. but too frequently I think that's the excuse that it's going to take me a long time to overcome something and I think the Savior can overcome it pretty right quick now. right yeah, right now can help him right now yeah. Yeah. it's a yeah it's you know you think about where they would have been right they'd just been fishing the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. What experiences they would have missed out on sure. had they not followed Christ, and the same for us, right? We'll just have the willingness to go and do what 
what we feel prompted to do or what we're called to do, um, the Lord can make much more out of our lives. And he certainly did with them, right? Look right. at the experiences they end up having, the experiences with watching the Savior do all that he did and yeah. eventually leading the church and performing miracles. In fact, you see that right away. You yeah. see the even next three verses. Well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, look at that. We're already doing them. And Jesus went about in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel, um, healing all manner of sickness, all manner of disease, his fame went, and he just kept healing diseases and sicknesses. He just began instantly to he, he did, heal. but not but not just the Savior. If you look at Luke chapter, if you go back to Luke yeah. chapter four, I think it is where the apostles began doing that. If you look at verse, uh, this is chapter four, verse thirty-eight, where um, Simon's wife. You know, this is when his wife, his, oh, excuse me, his wife's mother uh -huh. was taken with a great fever. And they besought him, Christ, for her. And he, in this case, I, I think this is, I thought this was Simon Peter. Am I getting this right? And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. I think this is, and he arose, when fame went out of, or maybe this is the Savior. I thought this was, um, but eventually the apostles do. Yeah. They, they, they were given the power. Too. And I thought I thought this was the case here, but maybe I've got that wrong. But, well, but either yeah, way, yeah. You, you know, these the apostles are recognizing the power and authority that he has, mm -hmm. and calling on it. Right? Mm -hmm. They're they're mm -hmm. saying, hey, you could come over here and heal. You could come over there and heal. Um, and 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 really, you're right. That the, the apostles begin this, and and it isn't too long that yeah. the apostles start struggling to do it mm -hmm. and not understanding mm -hmm. why they can't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's a proof that they are doing it at this point. And what a powerful thing! Just just the idea that. That uh, once we've made the choice, you know, like the Savior did in the wilderness, just I'm going to use this power for good, mm -hmm. um, and we've begun to share it, um, man, we're, we're given power. We're given power to do miracles and and, uh, and and bless the lives of the people around us uh, because it's not our power. It's the, the Lord's power, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, his, yes. it's his work. Um, and that's our witness, right, uh, Matt, as we think about this, it is, this is the Lord's work. Yeah. And how fortunate we are to, to even have a small part to play. Each one of us has a small part to play. And it may be very simple. Our arena may be very small. Yeah. Their arena was large, and it became larger. Yeah, it did. As they, as the, when the Savior left and they're called to go preach the gospel to all the world. Yeah. We have maybe smaller arenas, but we can have just as much power and just as much effectiveness in our little circles, whether at home or with in our part, apartments with four or five of our roommates. Yeah. It may be that it's you that will make a difference to bring light to that to that apartment, yeah. a complex, or to that work environment, yeah. wherever it might be. And, and to not, uh, um, I think it's important to not assume that because our influence is an mm. apartment, mm. that it doesn't it doesn't exponentially expand from that space, mm. right? Mm. In in our assignments here at the institute, we have, you know, I don't know, there's a thousand students coming to the institute here. Um, we don't know when we sit in a class and we teach a student that it, that it doesn't go home with them and it doesn't mm -hmm. end up across the country with them yeah. uh, teaching and blessing their families and, and helping mm -hmm. uh, some little message I was able to share and invite them to think about. It, this podcast, I think, is a perfect example. It's you and me sitting around in my office right, right. having a conversation about what we see in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And there's 13 countries around the world that are, mm -hmm. that are listening to this, right, <laughs> and hearing us have this discussion. And, and it feels so small when it's just you and me in the room talking. Mm -hmm. um, but with today's technology, a post 
yeah, uh, on yeah. a social media, That's you know, good. can can be so much more influential than, and, and it doesn't feel like you've really done anything. You just put something out there and mm-hmm. in the Twitterverse or you're, or in the, uh, Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and and thirteen people liked it mm-hmm. or whatever, followed it yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But the reality is, is how many thousands saw it that didn't click the button, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and our influence can be so much greater than than just what we see. Um, yeah. We just need to trust the Lord, trust that His work is being done as we make our efforts. Um, his His influence. I mean, it sounds big. Verse twenty five. There there followed Him great multitudes mm-hmm. of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem <laughs> and from Judea, yeah. from beyond Jordan. But if we look at the, the map of the earth and we identify those places, it's a pretty really tiny small. little area yeah. Yeah. that even Christ had influence over in His life. Mm-hmm. And yet, here we are, <laughs> talking about Christ's life. Um, I think we have so much influence if, like the Savior, we choose to have our wilderness experience and... Mm-hmm. Uh, turn to Him and choose to use the power and the gifts and the talents that we have uh, for good, like the Savior did. Awesome. I love that. What a I great way that. to end the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> right? Uh, brother, please, before we end, would you just share a message with the yeah. to the young people? What what would you want to say? Something that, uh, that uh, is near and dear to your heart that uh, you would just hope the young people would remember or know? I think just trust in those things we've been asked to do. You know, President Nelson has mentioned that if we have the Holy Ghost with us, we're going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to be all right. And trust that those things that they do every day, like study, studying the scriptures and prayer, those things that maybe seem like they don't really matter, they do yeah. matter. And to trust that and to believe that you have, like Edward Bednar taught us here recently, that trust that you have, as long as you're doing the best you can, that you have the Holy Ghost with you. And you'll be guided in those decisions that you're making. Sometimes we don't feel confident, and, but we, the Lord tells us, no, you can be confident. Yeah. And so that would be a thought that I would leave is just trust those things you've been asked to do, whether it's from this, uh, your state president or your bishop or whoever that is that's given you some counsel. Trust in that counsel, follow through, and you will be blessed with power um, beyond your wildest dreams, yeah. really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's priesthood power, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Power of God. I, mm-hmm. I so am grateful for your thoughts and time today. Um, again, there's there's so much more in, in Luke. Um, this uh, our, our attempt today was just to get through uh, the Matthew chapter and help help d- the general idea mm-hmm. uh, come to fruition today. But but continue to go in uh, those of you that are listening into Luke chapter four and five this week um, and read a little more deeply about these experiences that we covered today topically. But uh, Brother Gagnon, you're a blessing and a light to the world. Um, here at the Institute and, mm-hmm. and now a call across the world uh, mm-hmm. from being here with us today. Uh, if you have an opportunity to come down and, and be a, a servant alongside Brother Gagnon mm-hmm. uh, as a mentor or uh, send one of those special people that you know uh, down here to, to learn and, and be with him, you just couldn't go wrong. Uh, thank you for being with us. Again. You bet. Thank you. I'd love to invite anybody that would like to come. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Yep. Take care.
Thank you.